Mike, thank you very much, and hello, everyone. I'd be very grateful if you kept Exodus chapter 13 open. We're actually going to be turning over the page right to the end, to chapter 14, verse 31. I'm going to be running us through this quite incredible story this evening. Please keep it open on your Bible or on your phone if you can. Let's pray as we begin. Our Father, we want to be people who know you. And we want to be people who respond to you the right way. And so, Father, we ask, please help us in these things tonight. Amen. Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? So said one of the most arrogant men in human history. This man, he was a tyrant. He enslaved a nation. When the nation grew, he put the people into what we would describe as a labor camp. When the nation grew still, he ordered for every newborn son to be drowned in the local river. This man was the embodiment of evil. So evil, in fact, that in many ways he resembles the devil himself. This man was Pharaoh, king of Egypt a defiant enemy of God who asked this arrogant question when the Lord demanded that he let his people, Israel, go. Exodus chapter 5, verse 2. Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? Who is the Lord? I wonder what we'd say to Pharaoh. If we'd been a Christian for some time, perhaps, perhaps we'd say, the Lord is God. And we'd be right, the Lord is God. Or perhaps we'd also say, Jesus is the Lord. And we'd be right, Jesus is the Lord God. Remember that moment in Mark's Gospel when Jesus is walking on the water and he says, it is I, which means I am, literally I am. The name of the Lord Jesus uses of himself. Jesus is the Lord. But still, who is the Lord? What does Jesus mean? He's saying he's God, but what kind of God is he? Who is the Lord? What is he like? What does he do? What should we do with him? Who is the Lord? Tonight we're going to see the Lord's answer to Pharaoh's question. It's an answer that is put before us in an extraordinary event, in history, in this book, Exodus. It's an answer that displays God's glory. It's an answer that reveals the Lord to us so that we can know who he really is. And so tonight, let's pay careful attention because this evening we are dealing with the Lord. And as we shall see, what we do with the Lord is the difference between life and death, between eternal life and hell, between the Lord's salvation and his judgment. So let's pay careful attention and let's see together how this narrative answers the question who 
is the Lord. There are four scenes. Scene one, here's what happens. The Lord leads. The Lord leads. Chapter 13, verse 17. Let's set the scene. When Pharaoh let the people go. Now, we may know what happened. Initially, Pharaoh did not obey the Lord's voice. He did not let the people go. Uh, And so what happened is that the Lord and Pharaoh ended up in a fight. A fight for Israel. Pharaoh in the red corner, the Lord in the blue corner. And it really was very one-sided. Pharaoh didn't lay a finger on the Lord. But the Lord struck Pharaoh ten times in ten plagues. First, the Lord turned Egyptian water into blood. But Pharaoh did not let the people go. So the Lord sent swarms of frogs and gnats and flies. But Pharaoh did not let the people go. Then the Lord destroyed Egyptian livestock. He covered the Egyptian people with boils. He sent hail and locusts. He even plunged the whole land into darkness. But each time, still, Pharaoh did not let the people go. And so the Lord dealt the knockout punch. He warned Pharaoh what would happen, but Pharaoh ignored him and tightened his grip. And so the Lord took from Egypt every firstborn son. And then Pharaoh let the people go. Just picture the scene if you can. Guards stop their beating. Chains are unshackled. There are smiles on Israelite faces and tears in the eyes. Bags are packed. And after years of slavery, Israel are walking out. Just imagine it, this procession of people exiting Egypt. There must have been singing and dancing and laughing. Men and women and children following the Lord to a land of their own. And this is the route the Lord leads them. Verse 17, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people round by the way of the wilderness towards the Red Sea. And the people of Egypt went up out of the land of Egypt, equipped for battle. It's the scenic route. Uh, Even better, we might say the safe route. Not straight through the land of the Philistines, but round by the wilderness towards the sea. And it's, it's not the safe route because the Philistines are dangerous. Who's dangerous compared to the Lord and those ten plagues? It's safe, did you notice, because these people, the Israelites, are fickle. See that in verse 17? God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. The Lord knows his people. They're fickle, quick to doubt, quick to change. And so God in his patient kindness leads them round, out of Egypt and round by the desert to the Red Sea. 
We're then reminded how significant this moment is. Check out verses 19 to 20. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. And they moved on from Succoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. Just imagine, if you can, Moses packing his bag, his escape bag, some snacks, a sandwich, a bottle of water for the wilderness, a spare pair of socks for the journey, and the bones of one of his ancestors. It's not what you'd normally pack, is it? But here's the significance. These bones are a sign that God is keeping his promises. God had made a promise to this ancestor, Joseph, all those years ago. He'd say, one day I will visit you and I will rescue my people. And so as Joseph's bones get carried out of Egypt, it's an image of God carrying his people from death to life, from Egypt to the promised land. It's a sign the Lord is keeping his promises. And he is with his people every step of the way. Verse 21. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from the people of from before the people. We might remember God's presence with Moses in a burning bush, and now it's stretched into a pillar up into the sky, this pillar of fire for all of the Israelites. Smoke and cloud by day, burning light by night. It must have been immense to see the Lord's presence with his people, leading them to the promised land. But there's a detour. The Lord has a plan. Chapter 14, verse 1 and 2. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pi-Hiharoth, between Migdol and the sea, in front of Baal-Zephon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. Now this is a bit of a surprise, because as any military strategist knows, encamping between the wilderness and the sea is dangerous. It shuts you in. It leaves you trapped with no room for escape. But what makes this even more of a surprise is that, as every Israelite knows, the sea in the Bible represents chaos and death and judgment. Just think of Noah and that famous flood. So why is the Lord leading his people this way? Here's why we're told in verses 3 and 4. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, they're wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. The Lord is not done with Pharaoh. 
He wants to finish Pharaoh off. He wants to destroy the danger and eliminate the enemy. But ultimately, did we notice, he wants to get the glory. I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, all his host and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And so here's the Lord's plan. Like bait on the end of a line, the Lord leads his people to this dangerous spot on the beach, between the wilderness and the sea, because the Lord knows Pharaoh will bite. And the Lord will harden Pharaoh's heart, confirming him in his decision. And in one last fight, the Lord is going to win. The Lord is going to get glory over Pharaoh. And then Pharaoh will have an answer to his question. The Egyptians will know who is the Lord. Who is the Lord? Well, here's what we've seen so far. He is committed to his plan to rescue his people from slavery. He is committed to his promise to raise his people from death in Egypt to life in the promised land. He is committed to his people. He goes with them. And he is committed to his glory. He is going to show his enemies quite how powerful he is. Scene one, the Lord leads and the tension is building. Scene two, Pharaoh pursues. Sure enough, it starts with Pharaoh changing his mind. Look at verse five. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people. And they said, what is this we have done that we have let Israel go from serving us? It's then quite hard to miss how powerful Pharaoh is from verse 6. Just picture the scene as the forces grow. First, he makes his chariot ready, the A-grade military weapon of the age. Then he takes his army. Then he takes 600 chosen chariots, the best of the best. And then he takes all of the other chariots as well and all the officers with them. This army is huge. This army is utterly powerful. And compared to Israel, this army is dangerous. Remember the Israelites, a procession of people, men and women and children with the bones of their ancestors in their bags. No match for Pharaoh and this army who are now pursuing them. See verse 8. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel, while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. Just imagine it. The might of Egypt on the move. This wall of horses, big and fast and bearing their teeth, Behind them, soldiers standing between these spinning wheels with 
swords and spears and bloodthirsty eyes, and they're chasing, they're pursuing, and they're getting closer and closer and closer. Here comes Pharaoh. He drowned the newborn boys in the river, and now he's approaching all the people by the sea. It is terrifying. And in just one verse, they have caught up. Verse 9. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them, encamped at the sea, by Pihahiroth, in front of Baal-zephon. Israel is caught between the devil and the deep blue sea, between evil and death between slavery and judgment. Who is the Lord? In this scene, he has an enemy, an enemy who is committed to taking his people. And yet remember, the Lord has a plan to judge his enemy. The tension is building. Scene three. Israel fears. Verse 10. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. Natural, we might think. Understandable. They're trapped. But as is often the case, words are the window to the heart. And what Israel says next reveals their fickleness has turned to fear because they have no faith in the Lord. Have a listen, verse 10. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. It's hard to imagine what else the Lord could have done for these people. He'd promised he would save them. He'd proven his power with ten plagues. He'd even begun to lead his people out of Israel, out of Egypt, out of slavery. He'd given them every reason to trust him. And yet Israel do not trust him. They do not think the Lord can save them. They even question his plan. Did you notice that? Have you brought us out here just to die? But then most devastating of all, did you notice verse 12? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. Despite all he has done for them, Israel has no faith in the Lord. And so Moses says to the people, verse 13, and I think this is a telling off. Fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. 
you only have to be silent. Who is the Lord? He is committed to his saving plan, even when his people are not committed to him. And he is committed to his promises to judge his enemies, to save his people, even when those promises seem impossible to keep. The Lord is leading, Pharaoh is pursuing, Israel is fearing, the tension is building. Scene four, final scene, the Lord fights, the Lord fights. If we're familiar with what happens next, it can be easy to miss how awesome and destructive the next few paragraphs are. In a combination of four moves, the Lord saves his people and judges his enemies, and it is completely decisive. Here's how it happened. First, the Lord speaks to Moses. Let's read from verse 15. The Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gained glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. So the plan is reiterated. The Lord will get glory over Pharaoh. He will defeat the Egyptians so that they will know who he is. But now the strategy is revealed. Moses is to lift his hand and divide the sea. Now, I just want us to imagine a man standing by the Sydney Opera House. Perhaps he has a long beard. He has a staff in his hand. And the other hand, as he looks out over to the North Shore... His other hand is over the waters. It's going to take nothing short of a miracle for the sea to divide. Next, the Lord blocks the Egyptians. He moves between Israel and Egypt. Verse 19. Then the angel of God, who was going before the host of Israel, moved and went behind them, And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night, without one coming near the other all night. Picture the scene again. It's a nighttime battle, bloodlit by the presence of the Lord. Israel on one side, the Egyptians on the other, everything is set, and then Moses stretches out his hand. Next, the Lord divides the sea. Verse 21. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night, and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided 
And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on the dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right and on their left. This is the Lord. He is the creator who made dry land appear when he formed the world. The saviour who is making dry land appear again to rescue his people. Just imagine it if you can, perhaps in the harbour, if it helps. The sea divided. Dry land appearing in the bottom. Walls of water appearing on either side, to the right and to the left. And the Israelites walking in between. This is the Lord who saves his people. The Egyptians will, true to form, they pursue. But it's not long before they realize it's a bad move. See verse 23. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots and his horsemen. And in the morning watch, the Lord, in the pillar of fire and of cloud, looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. At this moment, with their wheels stuck, did you notice the Egyptians call the Lord by his name? Right here, they know who the Lord is. He fights for his people. He judges his enemies. He speaks, he blocks, he divides. And finally, he covers his enemies in judgment. Just look at this, verses 26 to 30. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out, stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on the dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day, from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? Pharaoh said. This is the Lord. Here's the answer. If we haven't been able to pay attention this whole time, here's the answer. The Lord is the judge and the saviour. He judges and he saves. He judges and he saves. He is powerful. He fights. 
He destroys his enemies. He engulfs them in his judgment and they die. And yet in his very great kindness, he saves. He parts away through his judgment so that his people might live. This is the Lord. This is who he is, the judge and saviour. This is what he does. He judges and he saves. It's for his people's good and it's for his own glory. And so as we finish, what should we do with him? Now we know the Lord, this Lord, what's an appropriate response? Well, we're shown in the final verse, verse 31. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. The people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord. Fear and faith. When we recognize the Lord is the one who judges and saves, 